Isn't it good to see that our brother Jim Grinnell is able to rejoin the rotation of leading worship? And of course, we continue to pray for dear Laura as they're making adjustments in her medication. It's interesting sitting up here and observing y'all. <laughs> uh, Dorothy yawning. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I've often said I love to walk into a room full of children talking, talking, talking. You can't hear, don't understand a word they're saying, but it's music. This morning as I sat up here and listened to you, it was music to hear the just the voices. And I know God is pleased with the love that you show for one another. This past week, each time I sought and prayed to God asking, what word would you have brought this Sunday? And every single time I prayed, four words kept coming to mind. The body of Christ. Day after day, that was the only word that came. The body of Christ. What's that all about? Five times in the epistles, the local church, the church, the church at Broad is called the body of Christ. It is the church. What does that mean? That means that the church is the presence of Jesus physically in the world today. A couple weeks ago, remember, we spoke on Father's Day and talked about Father God and how Jesus Christ came into the world for two reasons. First, to redeem us from our sins. But secondly, to reveal the Father to us. Remember, he said when Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul wrote, he is the effulgence of the glory of God. The exact representation of his nature. Jesus came into the world to redeem us from our sins. But also that this God that seemed to so many as being a distant, obscure, in some cases harsh being, was fully revealed by Jesus and how he conducted himself in the world. His words, his facial expressions, his deeds reveal the true nature of the Father. In the same way today, the church has a role as the body of Christ to reveal the true nature, the true character of Jesus in this world in which we live today. You know, that's, this is an intimidating word that I believe God has given me to bring today. Intimidating because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. He is here this morning, and he's going to listen to everything I say about him, almost as he were sitting on the front row saying, Jim, you better get this right. I'm listening. That's an intimidating thought to me, to have this role today, and yet I believe it is the one that God has given me. We dwell in a wonderful nation. 
Last Sunday was the 4th of July, and we celebrated the birthday of this marvelous nation in which we live. It's been said that this nation is what it is because of three C's, Christianity, the Constitution, and capitalism. Whether or not that's true, it still makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? What a wonderful nation. We just saw a picture of horrors taking place in several nations. I can't imagine anyone doing all they can to try to get into any one of those nations, legally or illegally. And yet in America, we have people from all over the world trying to get in, sometimes legally, and if they can't do it that way, illegally, even risking their lives. This nation is something, the nature and character of it, that just draws people. And so is the person of Jesus. There's something about his nature, his way, that draws people as the church is the physical representation of Jesus in this world today. It is important that we manifest those characteristics that will draw people to him as we are his body. What could those characteristics be? Well, one is love. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you love one another. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, Since you have therefore come to this knowledge of truth, have fervent love for one another. Fervent love for one another. Tertullian, writing around 200 A.D. in Carthage, talked about the culture in which the church existed in Carthage. And he said, people are being drawn into the church and this is what they say. See how they love one another. Then in parentheses he said, they hate one another. <laughs> they would even die for one another. Then in parentheses he said, they would kill one another. And because the Carthaginians saw the tremendous love that Christians had for each other, even willing to die for one another, they began to be drawn to the Lord Jesus, whom the church represented. Now, January 1st will be, I will have completed 70 years as a preacher of the gospel. And I'm just contemplating earlier today, you know, I started counting off, and I probably have missed some, but I can recall 15 different states where I've preached, where I've ministered among churches, in some cases very extensive ministries, some but casual. And I want to say about this church... In my almost 70 years of ministering in churches, I don't know a church anywhere that models love for one another as does this body. Some perhaps equal, but none exceed it. 
Remember the scripture says, bear ye one another's burdens. And I'll tell you that's what happens in this church. Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're going through, whatever your burden is, you don't walk alone. Jesus walks with you and your brothers and sisters in this body walk with you, sometimes actually helping you physically, but always praying for you. And I believe that once the world sees what we really are, that's making Jesus attractive to a suffering world. Sadly, in too many cases, that has not been true. If you've been a Christian very long, you know that some congregations exist to just argue. <laughs> I heard some years ago whether or not it was true about it in a, I'll not mention the denomination, but I could. But as the brother was, man was being baptized into Christ, since he came out of the baptistry, he said, I want to argue. Because that was the characteristic of the church. <laughs> where he was a member. Remember Lord Jesus approximately 12 hours before he was nailed to the cross, prayed to his father concerning his apostles. And then he said, I not only pray for these, but for those who will come to believe through their testimony. And he prayed, O oh, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. May they be one in love for one another that the world may know that you have sent me. That's a troubling prayer, isn't it? When we look at the church today, divided with denominations, church splits, some of you heard me preach a sermon about division, which is the devil's most effective tool, division. One reason I'm committed to the concept of the New Testament church is I believe that if every church would get rid of all of its trappings and all of its traditions and all of its structures, and let's just go back and seriously study the New Testament and see what the church was, and all of us just be that. Could we not be unified? Instead of having all of these loyalties to stuff that has evolved over the years. I wish I knew how to bring joy to the heart of my Lord by somehow being used of Him to bring unity to the body of Christ under whatever label it might be. I think it is important for us to not say that we are the only Christians, but let us just be Christians only. And nothing else. Oh, if only, if only that could be. But let us do all we can to present to the world as the body of Christ. Loving, caring, 
something that would draw people wanting to be a part of this community that is born again through the work of Jesus upon the cross. If we are truly the body of Christ, we will be a praying people. Jesus was a praying person. How many times do we find in the Gospels Jesus being described as slipping away into the wilderness where he could pray alone. Sometimes all night long in prayer, especially when he was facing some kind of a decision. You remember one occasion he was with a group of disciples. This is described both in Matthew and in Luke. A group of disciples, there was a crowd, and he finally went up on a little ledge, and some of the disciples followed him there. And then he went up on the mountain and spent all night long in prayer. And then he came down from the mountain to that ledge and joined those that were there. We don't know how many. Later he sent out 70. Perhaps there were 70. We don't know. But out of this group of disciples, he picked 12 to become apostles. But he didn't do that before he had spent the night in prayer. No doubt communicating with the Father about this decision that was going to affect the history of the church till he would come again. Again, I can compliment this church. This is a praying church. I know you pray as individuals. We pray as families, and we pray corporately. That, to me, truly represents Jesus as the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ also demonstrated obedience. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as he knelt in sweat great drops of blood, he said, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And in model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, I, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father saying. He lived a life of obedience. If we truly are the body of Christ, we will live a life of obedience to our God. Some years ago, when I was ministering in a well, actually, two and a half years in a Ohio community that was a French-German community. Up until the year before I came there, the Presbyterian Church had still had their service in French. So the, it was populated by French and German descendants, immigrants. And there were two churches. I preached at one in this little town and the other one seven miles out in the country. And I'd preach at one at 9.30 and the other one at 10.30. And then on Sunday night, two churches would come together as one. When I was preaching at this one, that one had Sunday school. And they'd flip. I'd sometimes Saturday night dream about going to the wrong one first. A nightmare. <laughs> I... Um, 
became a member of the Grange, which was the farmer's organization. I became a member of the Lions Club for the local merchants. I became a substitute school bus driver. Uh, the Presbyterian minister and I worked together and started a softball league, which was in the summertime just huge. People from all over the county came. I coached a boys' team. I coached a women's team. I coached and played on a men's team. Anytime there was any kind of an event, basketball band or anything, it seemed I was always the speaker. And our young people were busy evangelizing in the high school. Church began to grow. Youth group grew. And one local denominational church was shrinking to agree because his young people were coming to our church. And he's called me one day. He said, I want to have... I'll open meeting with you to talk about this New Testament church. Everybody will be invited. Well, okay. <laughs> so I went. Now, they'd started uh, dances on Friday night, and they were getting quite licentious, so I was preaching against that. One young man raised his hand and said, uh, I want to ask you, why are you opposed to those dances? And I said, well, when I was driving the school bus Friday, there's a young man right behind me who said, I can hardly wait to the dance tonight. I love to get up next to those girls' bellies. He quickly sat down and shut up because that was the young man that had said that. Anyway, the meeting went on. Finally, what about baptism? So I began to talk about the Greek word immersion, and I don't know how far I went, but he stopped me. Stop, stop. We know the oldest symbol of baptism is John the Baptist's conch shell. This meeting is over. We're going downstairs. So we went downstairs. Why are you so legalistic? And I said, well, Mike, if our Lord breathes the slightest wish, that's what I'll do and not think about anything else. Oh, you're being legalistic, he said. <laughs> now, I do not want to paint a good picture of myself at all, but I must say, my brother and my sister, it has been my heart to live that way for all the years in which God has called me to ministry. What has our Lord said? And think about nothing, doing nothing else other than that. Remember Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. said, now I'm writing this in case I might get delayed in coming to you. And I'm writing this so you'll know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church, he said. The church, which he said, is the pillar and foundation of truth. How can the church be the pillar and foundation of truth? Paul said, because the stuff I'm writing to you, this is it. This is what you're to have. This is what you are to practice. Isn't it sad today that we see denominations, we see churches starting to let culture determine truth? instead of the 
revealed Word of God. It is important that we be obedient and present the Word He has given, not that which is presented by any other human. Our Lord manifested one thing that I have to say is a little bit of a puzzle to me. In Romans 13, remember, Paul wrote that we are to be obedient to the powers that be, that none are there except they're ordained of God. And when the powers that be commanded the apostles to disobey the command of Christ, they said, whether it is right to obey God or you, you judge, but we can only speak the things that we've seen and heard. And remember, they whipped them. And they went out having received 40 lashes apiece, thanking God that they could suffer. But they disobeyed respectfully. They didn't start a riot. But now here's an interesting thing. Very early in his ministry, this is recorded in John chapter 2, Jesus came to Jerusalem on the Passover. And he went into the temple and he saw money changers. He saw people selling doves. He saw sheep. Now, the money changers were this. The priest said, we will only allow a shekel to be given in the offering. Shekels weren't being distributed any longer. And so they sold them at great profit to the people. Jesus said, you have taken the house of God and made it a place of merchandise. And he took some cords and made a whip and he drove everybody out. He turned over the money changers' money. He turned over their tables. He, he went to the people selling doves and attacked them. <laughs> Got violent. Later, after the triumphal entry, the fifth day before his crucifixion, again, you remember he came to the temple and saw that same scene. They were doing it again. And this time he did the same thing. We don't find a whip mentioned in this account, but Matthew 21 turned over the tables, drove them all out. If we are the body of Christ, is there ever a time when we are to conduct ourselves like that? Notice he was not coming against the government authorities. What he was coming against was what should have been the worship of God becoming a means of personal profit to the established leaders of religion. I wonder what God thinks today about some who are profiting greatly by being ministers of the gospel. I want to say this about Earl Roberts. This man did not live an opulent life. Some years ago, I was contacted when Oral was still leading ORU. He asked six of us to come and meet with him, and we did. 
He said, men, I have been alone. I need you. And so we began to meet with Oral and pray with him. I'll tell you, this man was a humble man. He drove a used car. He did not live an opulent life. Sad to say, those who followed him did not follow his pattern. Now, I don't want to pass judgment on these at all. But I do wonder, is there ever a time when we're to rise up and speak out against the way that people have turned Christianity into a means of profit and opulence, and many have. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Except just to make sure it doesn't happen to me. Our Lord Jesus demonstrated twice in his life violence against hypocrisy and those who used religion to fill their own purse and their own pocketbooks. Something to think about, isn't it? But we need to be careful instead of judging others, perhaps, when we come to the Lord's table, examine ourselves, and then let us eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So much could be said about our Lord. The beauty of our Lord who loved people, who cared for people in the direst of circumstances. The COVID-19 pandemic has so impacted the world, but it is far from the first. Reading about some of the pandemics of the past There's one particular pandemic that so hit the Roman Empire. Again, as described in this video today, there were piles of bodies. They just couldn't handle them all. And people were fleeing the cities, except for Christians. Christians stayed in the cities. Some in the countries came into the cities to care for the sick. And it was through that compassion and that care that the church grew as people were drawn into a community that was far different from what they saw in the world. You see, that was the physical representation of Jesus in that world. My, we could go on and on, couldn't we, this morning? But perhaps this is enough. One thing that is so important also is that our Lord was deeply concerned about reaching the damned souls going to hell. Remember, there twice just before he ascended, once in Galilee, he came into his disciples and said, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore 
And the Greek word is mathetes, which is disciple. The word that we translate disciple is a Greek word, mathetes. It means learner. There's a difference between a learner and a student. You can study forever and ever, but it means learner. Go, therefore, and make learners of all the nations. Here's how you do it. First, immerse them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you obedience but go go and then the passage that Gordon mentioned last Sunday from Acts 1 he said to Terry the Holy Spirit will come you'll be endued with power then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the uttermost parts of the earth Jesus was and is concerned about the damned and bringing them into the kingdom, into the church, into salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes concerning the ministry gifts that God has given to the church. Now, some people talk about fivefold, but that's wrong. There's only four in Greek. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. In Greek, if you're making a list and you want to distinguish between the elements in that list, use what's called the men-de pattern. And so you begin the list with a men, and then in between each element is a de, and that's the way it starts. Tus, men, apostolos, de, prophetes, de, euangelistes, de, Poimine, and then no death, but Kai didaskalos. Ephesians 4.11 says, God gave these ministry, these ministries of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Most of our English Bibles try to convey that, but most people miss it as he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as it says Pastors and teachers, sadly, using the Latin word pastorum instead of translating it as shepherds, which it is. Now, in my involvement with churches around the nation, and yes, even some around the world, I know many who are functioning accurately, correctly, and biblically as apostles. And I know some who are functioning as prophets. And my, a host that are being wonderful shepherd teachers. But you know what seems to be lacking today? The evangelist. I don't know of any church where there is an active, productive evangelist, a church with which I am associated. You know, elders are horrible evangelists. If they were good evangelists, they'd be horrible elders. That's not what they're called to be. They're called to be shepherds, not harvesters. I think it would be wise as we are a praying church, and I, and I say this to other churches as well, let us begin to beg God to give us some evangelists. Those of us who have worked with evangelists in the past can tell you every true evangelist, they're just kind of strange folk. They always are. <laughs> and yet they bring in a harvest. And the ones that bring, you know, churches like TCF, we're a well-oiled machine.
we start getting a bunch of converts, it's not as well oiled. <laughs> Some, I, I was preaching in one church for many, many years, and I was out calling on Sunday afternoons, and people were coming into the church. And there was one man who didn't like some of the folks that were coming into the church. He said to me, stop doing that. We already have enough. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. But I'm not an evangelist. I've tried to be. But I'm not an evangelist. I'm something. I don't know what. But I think we would do well to begin to beg God to give us evangelists that once again we could see the joy of a harvest and work these elders to death trying to shepherd everybody wouldn't that be a wonderful burden <laughs> but I think if we really have the heart of Jesus outreach has to be at our core and we do our best. Vacation Bible School, for example, we do our best. But, oh, God, give us one at least and maybe more evangelist that we might see damned souls escape the fire of hell and come to know eternal life. Father God, we are aware that we are so imperfect. And yet we long to be what you want us to be. May your Holy Spirit guide and lead. Make us aware of where we are not what you want us to be. And then by your Spirit, enable us to be that. Through Jesus. Amen.